Welcome to the Adorned Women Podcast. Our goal is to inspire you with new stories each week featuring women of faith from all over the world and all walks of life. Through weekly discussions with each sister in Christ, we hope to give you a glimpse into who they are and how their lives have been transformed by the gospel. We're all in this journey together, so let's be inspired together. Hello, Adorned Women. Welcome back to the Adorned Women podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alicia, and I want to introduce you to today's guest, Manisha Mathias. Manisha lives in India, where she was born and raised. She led a fairly typical life, sheltered and protected by her father, until she was married and the duty was passed on to her husband. For some years, Manisha continued living that ordinary life, starting a family, helping her husband to run restaurants and a farm, until one day, when the Lord called her out of her comfort zone, and everything changed. I'll let Manisha tell the rest of the story, but once again, I'm just blown away by how incredible these stories are, and also how relatable they are, just because of this common thread, the direction and guidance of the Lord, and the faith and obedience of the women who are open to it. I hope that as you listen to Manisha share, you're touched by her genuine heart, her enthusiasm for the Lord, and the way she shares so freely about the weaknesses she's had to leave in His hands. Whether or not your story looks anything like hers, Those are things we can all seek to imitate by running after the Lord and being open to whatever He has for us. I can't wait for you to hear today's conversation. So without further delay, here it is. Hi, welcome, Manisha. It's good to have you here. Thank you, Alicia. It's a joy to be here. Yeah, I can't wait to get into some of your story and hear about your life and in your relationship with God and how He's used you. Um, but we want to start off like we always do with our guests. I would love to hear a little bit about where you live, what it's like there, any of the culture, the history there. Um, just share share what you love about where you are. I'm from India and South India, Kerala. Actually, originally I'm from Karnataka, Mangalore. I don't know if you know these places. Uh, a few years back, the Lord took me from Mangalore to Kerala. In fact, I very clearly heard his voice. I did not know where this place was. And I grew up in a very sheltered uh, environment in the sense my dad was very protective of me. In fact, I can uh, remember him carrying me in his arms, uh, which uh, was, I think, after 10 or 12 years. The minute I said, Dad, I'm tired, I'm my legs hurt, he would lift me up. And uh, what I want to stress on is my dad was not young then. Because I was born in the 15th year of his marriage after much of waiting. yeah. And uh, in spite of that, he would uh, take me up in his arms the minute I said my feet hurt. That was how sheltered I was. If I want to go somewhere, he would take me. And uh, I was married then, uh, about three years into marriage. And after I got married, my husband took on the duty of my dad of taking care of me. You know, wherever I went, it was my husband who took me. So this was, a, you know, a long journey. I had to take a train. It was something like a eight hours journey, which I had never done in the past all by myself. And I, have a, uh, I had a three-year-old daughter then who is a now young woman now. And, uh, uh, you know, taking a child and going all the way there seemed quite uh, frightening. Uh, there was a situation in my life uh, my young brother-in-law had passed away. He was just 25 in an accident. He left in the morning and he never came back home. In fact, we got the information that he passed away. And uh, it was a very bad accident. 
And uh, just following that, a few months later, another relative had gone looking for a job where he had asthma and uh, he happened to be in a dusty room, did not get treatment on time and he passed away. And that got me thinking like, you know, what is life about? What is life all about? We struggle. We were going through a very bad patch then about uh, regarding uh, business. And we would tell uh, each other, my husband and I, that, you know, we take one day at a time and very soon, you know, we, we are working really hard and, you know, we would, we try to make things meet, uh, you know, we ends meet rather and, we, you know, things will be all right again. But that day I was sitting there and thinking young people just dropped dead and we say that we will see tomorrow and things will be better tomorrow. Uh, what is this all about? Like, you know, it was me sitting all alone in my room and thinking this. And I was quite tearful thinking that, you know, thinking, what nonsense is this? Like, what is life about? And at that moment, uh, just a thought came to my mind. Like, if I want to do something, I want to do something that will help people and, and help me in my next life. That is eternity. And uh, in that kind of a situation, I very clearly heard the voice of God telling me in the name of this place, where I am today, and I've been serving the Lord for the past 22 years, uh, come to this place. And it got me thinking like, you know, so far away, how do I go? And then I remembered a relative of mine, a cousin who is a very dear friend too. She has been here before. And so I just gave her a quick call and I said, I'd like to go there. Will you come with me? And she said, and you know, I was very emotional. I was weeping over the phone. And she said, uh, give me some time. I just talked to my parents. And she was back within, uh, say, Two seconds telling me, yeah, we'll go. I'll go with you. Uh, that's why I always say when the Lord wants something, the Lord will do it for you. You know, however hard it is, the Lord will do it for you. If that's what he wants for you. And if that's not good for you, he will just take you away from that. And uh, I ended up attending this retreat. And uh, it was a six-day retreat. They preached the gospel. There was Holy Mass and uh, Blessed Sacrament Adoration. During, uh, I think on the third day of the retreat, there was a confession. And uh, after having heard so much, you know, so much, which, yeah, I was a Catholic. I'm born in a Catholic household, but uh, Sunday going, mass going person. And, you know, in those days when I needed something, I rushed to the Lord. Otherwise, you know, the Lord was forgotten. What a dear man he is. I always say, say you know, uh, whenever somebody comes and tells me, you know, I'm having this problem, I just tell them, did you tell Jesus, you know, he's a wonderful person. He will help you. You know, I say this out of experience. I would go to him and he said, as understanding as he is and as a lovely friend that he is and that beautiful hymn that I identify with, what a friend we have in Jesus, every word about it. You know, it's like in every distress, we might be totally disconnected from him, but when we are distressed, we go to him and he's there ready to help. You know, that's our God. And um, that's exactly what happened. I, uh, after the confession, there was this blessed sacrament adoration. And I was pouring my heart out and saying, telling the Lord how many problems I have and this and that and this and that. And, you know, I could see like a motion picture, the Lord standing in front of me and smiling. You know, I was irritated and angry. I said, oh, yes, you God. No, you can smile at everything, you know. It doesn't seem to matter to you. You're smiling, you know, nothing seems to matter to you. But at that moment, it was like the camera was moving, you know, from away from his face. It was focusing on another person. And I was looking, who's that? It was my husband. 
And like I told you, we're going through a lot of time of stress in those days. And I was very worried about my husband, whether, you know, he will be able to take out the troubles and, you know, face up to it. And, you know, whether he will be he will be able to survive the situation. Uh, I was very worried, very concerned about him. And I could see that the Lord was holding him, you know, the sheep actually was not a sheep after all. It was him. It was he was holding my husband. And on the other side, he was holding my child who was three years old then. And it was like a conviction to me saying that I have it in my hands. It's all in my control. I have it with you. And I saw myself prostrating before the Lord. And at that moment, I did not understand the vision. The retreat happened. The retreat was over. I was back home. And when it was just a few months from the millennium year, the Christ, uh, Christmas of the millennium, uh, the year before the millennium year, that is one, uh, thousand, uh, 1999 uh, Christmas, and then the new year would be the millennium year. So my husband very gently asked me, where would you like to go for Christmas? What would you like me to do for you for Christmas? And I blurted out, I'd like to go to this place, Kerala, the Divine Retreat Center. And my husband is, uh, doesn't like crowds. He's much of an introvert. And uh, he uh, said, I was sure he'd say no. But uh, he said, let me think about it. And the next day he told me, yeah, we'll go which was a miracle in itself because my husband wouldn't be seen in a crowd. He doesn't like crowds. And the three of us came here for the retreat and uh, my husband did not understand the retreat a few days. But then on the last day, he told me that he'd like to stay back, that he had not really done the retreat that well. And he was my concern at that moment. I was very concerned about him because he was taking a lot of stress. And he had lost his brother who was so dear to him. And he was going through a very bad uh, phase in life. And um, I did not, uh, when he said, I want to stay back, I said, yeah, okay. And I went back home, you know, with my child. And uh, every time I would call him, because in those days, we were not very well connected by the mobile phones. It was just a land phone. And uh, I would call him and say, one more week. I'll stay one more week. And he was staying here praying and uh, Finally, it was three months. It was close to my birthday and I'd never spent my birthday away from my husband. It was very close to Easter too. I said, oh, I'm coming. And I came to this place. I thought I came here for a week. And uh, every week I would say, next week I'm going home. It's 22 years. I'm still here. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'd like to tell you something about this place, what this is. Uh, it's a retreat center. Uh, we preach the word of God in seven different languages. In India, so we have seven. Uh, we have a lot of languages, but at the moment we preach in seven different languages. And uh, I come from Manglo. Uh, you'd have heard of a place called Goa. Uh, we speak Konkani. Uh, this is the language we speak, and that's my mother tongue. So I was put in the Konkani section, and uh, yeah, from there on I started preaching, singing, counseling. It's a great ministry. If you ask me, I was 28 when I entered this ministry. And uh, when I, if you ask me which way was the better part of your life, I definitely say these 22 years. I've been so good, so peaceful, so joyful, working with the Lord, being his servant, waiting for him to tell me what to do. And it's a joyful experience. Yeah, that's incredible. So God literally just clearly spoke to you and told you mm. come to this place and you didn't really think it was going to be anything long term it was just kind of like the lord wants me to visit this place and you go and then 
it kind of takes root in your heart and you get your husband to go and then <laughs> the Lord just plants you there. That's such an incredible story. Yeah. So what is it, what is it like living at a retreat center? What, what kind of day-to-day activities do you engage with? What kind of things do you see? What kind of people do you interact with there? Unless you're like-minded people who'd love to serve the Lord and now want nothing will return. You know, mm, uh, we wake up very early in the morning at 5.30 we are up. You know, that's the time we wake up. That's the time we expect the people who have come for the retreat to wake up, you know. And uh, by 6.15, generally people walk into the halls. We have auditoriums, seven different auditoriums where the seven language retreats go on. And we start the day with the rosary. Uh, we prefer starting every session with the rosary, which is why we start the day with one decade of the rosary. And then immediately we go on to praise and worship, we sing hymns, and we praise God lovely, because that's what they do in heaven, don't they? Uh, the Bible very clearly says, they say hallelujah all the time. We greet each other, not good morning or good evening. We greet each other with a praise of Lord. You know, and we address each other as brother and sister. Because uh, we're all the children, and it's not that it's not a kind of respect or something, it's just love. Because we believe we are all children of one God, we're brothers and sisters. And uh, we get up at, uh, yeah, we start the sessions by 6 30. Now, I want you to know that because of the corona virus, because of COVID 19, uh, we had to stop our retreats in March 2020. Uh, in between, we did try to start because, see, our people come from different states. And when they cross borders, there's to be restrictions. Yeah, because of which we could not start our full-fledged retreats. It is only in uh, March, uh, I think it was around the 27th, we started the English retreats. And of course, uh, there's a, of the language of the land, that's Malayalam. That was going on from September, of course, on and off. We had to stop and that's going on really full-fledged retreat. But when it comes to English, we have to get people from other states, which is difficult for them to travel. And people have gone through a lot of difficulty. They had no proper jobs. They, you know, People who were doing business, especially running restaurants, were closed. It's not easy for them at all. This might be the time now that everything has opened up. This might be their little time of making their money. So you know, it's not very easy for them to come to the retreat center now. So we're having very small crowds. Uh, also, we have just started the English retreat at the moment, and uh, this is the Holy Week, and which is why we have, you know, been extremely busy. People have come in. This has been one big week for us, and uh, the Konkani retreat, which I generally work for, we have not yet started that. We'll be starting it on the first of May. In the meantime, I help with the English retreats, uh, with the counseling, and whenever I'm invited there to sing, which I love to do, uh, we go and do that. Yeah. Um, we are, like I told you, our day starts at six o'clock with the rosary, a decade of rosary and praise and worship. And then we go on to one hour session on the word of God. Yeah, we pre-proclaim the word of God. It's a one hour session of preaching, after which there is a break for, break, uh, for breakfast. And then again, we start within an hour. And then we have to continue a session with hymns in between, praise and worship, we call it. And then we have the lunch break. So to cut it, cut the story short, it's like, you know, with breaks in between for breakfast, lunch and tea and dinner, we start at 6.30 and we finish at 10 p.m. Wow. So it's a full day. Yeah, it's a full day. <laughs> and this and is what you've been doing for 22 years. Yes. A day in and day years, out. Because two, two years where Corona, uh, because of the Corona, 
we had to close the retreat center for the public. Yeah. But we were inside and we continued to pray. Yeah, that's a crazy shift that you went, you said you were, you and your husband were in business. Is that correct? Before the retreat center? Yeah, yeah. So a crazy yeah, we shift. Were, we were running restaurants and we had a farm too. Uh, Alicia, uh, Alicia, I think, you know, it's like this. When the Lord wants you to do something, he'll empty out your hands so that you can fill your hands with blessings, you know. And uh, even though it was very difficult, the transition was very difficult because it was a complete different, different atmosphere. We were in a different kind of life. Uh, family did not understand or, the uh, you know, the friends did not understand. We ourselves didn't understand what we were led to do. Uh, but it was never a decision. It was the decision of the Lord and he led us beautifully. You know, I was a person who had such a straight stage fright. I could not stand in front of anyone and speak. And what blunders I did. And neither was I a singer nor could I play the uh, keyboard. Today I do all that. And I know in my heart that, you know, it's not something that I learned or something like that. And I can openly tell you, I still cannot read music notes, but I still play the organ. Huh. You know, just by ear. Uh, that's why I, today I tell people, if, even if it is a stone, even if it is a stone and the Lord wants it to praise him, if, he, if the stone will praise him, the Lord has power and he can do it. That's incredible. I'd love to hear more about that transition because I think, you know, not everyone's called into ministry or into a full-time work for the Lord um, as an occupation, but I think a lot of us do go through those transitions where we're in one thing and that thing is our whole life. And then God calls us into something else in obedience and faith. And it's it's scary. And you're not really sure. You don't feel equipped for it. You don't feel ready for it. But you feel like God has called you to that. So I'd love to hear about that transition. Just even what were your friends saying? What was your family saying? What kind of thoughts were going through your head? And then how did it shape up? How did that transition actually flow? Uh, like I told you, it was a uh, word that called me over here. And then I came for a second retreat uh, three months later. And I thought I came uh, and I went back. And then I came back again three months to stay for good. Like in those days also, it was not a decision made. It was not, a, you know, I'm going to stay here forever kind of a thing. Uh, but God led me. I'll take you through it. Uh, when I came here that week, I came here with a small bag. Thinking I was going to go back in two weeks. I was going to attend one retreat. I was going to spend one week with my husband and I was going to go back. But then at the, when I was thinking of going back, all of a sudden I received a call from my mom. My dad was bedridden during those days. And she said, I'm going to bring your dad there. And I'd always heard my mom say things like, you know, God is everywhere. We can pray from everywhere. We don't have to go to a particular place to pray. And... Uh, and she would, when I called her and says, uh, just to ask her how she's doing, she told me, I'm bringing your dad there. I was quite stunned. Now, if she's going to come here, she would need my assistance. I couldn't go back home. You know, so I stayed. And they stayed here for about a month because dad was sick. Uh, generally, it's a week retreat. And after a week, we send people back home. People come here only for a week. But, you know, when the Lord wants, people stay here for months, I guess, and for years like me. And, uh, you know, um, dad was bedridden, mom was there, I was helping her. At the end of uh, a month, I don't remember, right, maybe it, it was a little over a month, uh, my mom said she wants to go home with her dad because dad was getting weaker and she was not too 
you know, happy with the, the way things were turning out for him. I said, yeah, sure. And now I was confused. What do I do? Go back or stay? Go back or stay? And I asked my husband, what do you want to do? He said, I'm going to stay. I'm not coming back with you. His decision was made. Now the baby was too small to ask her, what do you want to do? She was just three years old. Now, what do I do? Whom do I ask now? So I went to the director of this place, who is a priest. And I told him, Father, my mom is going home today with dad. And uh, my husband has told me he's not coming back with me. Now, I don't know what to do. He just said one line. He said, what's waiting for you back home? Why don't you stay with us? And then, you know, it was as if I didn't have a decision to make. I didn't have to think. I stayed here and believe me, Alicia, the first few days were difficult because every time the people used to come here for a week, they would go back home after a week and I would tell myself, next week I'm going home. Next week I'm going home. After I, after I came here, within, uh, yeah, by, I think within a few months, say about six months, I got to know that I was pregnant for the second time. Okay. And I realized, how will I have my baby here without any help, without family here? Just me and my husband. So I decided to go home. I went and told the, when I used to, I have this habit of going and sitting in front of the Blessed Sacrament in prayer. I told the Lord, this situation has happened and this baby has not come into my womb without you knowing. So I'm uh, going back home because, you know, I don't think things will work out here with a small baby. And again, I heard the voice of the Lord very clearly telling me, if I had brought you here for a short time, I would have sent you long back. I want you here for a longer time. Stay put, don't go. Every time I would try to pick up my bag and leave, there was something that was stopping me from going back. I could never go back home. You know, it was the Lord's doing. So what I would say is, it's never a decision to follow the Lord. It is Him leading you. It's His grace that takes you. Without His grace, you cannot do anything. It's basically, it's only His grace. And what I would say is, like, He has a plan for each one of us, as it is very clearly said in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. He has a plan. But it also says that you have to seek the plan, which generally we don't do. We tell ourselves, this is what I want to do. And I believe the service of the Lord should never be an occupation. It should never be an occupation. It should be a service of love. You shouldn't be counting your money. How much can I make from this? Because he says, the word very clearly says, in the Psalms it is written, from my youth I have grown old, but I have not seen the children of God beg. The Psalm, the Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. You know, you keep serving, you concentrate on that. Not on, not, it should never, that word occupation should never come. It should be service. That is why I always call myself a servant of God. Yeah. I love that you brought that up too, because for our listeners, I always send out a podcast questionnaire to my guests just to get them to know them a little bit better and know what kind of questions to ask. And so one of the questions I always put is, what are three words that you would use to describe yourself thinking, you know, people will put things like kind, funny, loving, disciplined, joyful, things like that. And usually that's the kind of response I get. But Manisha here, for the her three words, she wrote servant of God. 
And I love that. And I loved hearing that story of just your journey coming from, I would say, almost secularly minded, just kind of paying attention to the business, coming to the Lord when you needed him, but not necessarily seeking out um, his plan each and every day. And then this radical shift in your life, just leading him leading you into all these difficult, but in another sense, not difficult decisions, because it's him carrying you into those. I think that's such an amazing story and such an amazing testimony to be able to say, those are the three words that describe me, servant of God. I think that's incredible. Could I ask a little bit about um, maybe some of the people that you've interacted with at the retreats, people who come to the retreats seeking God and seeking freedom from whatever is um, whatever they're in bondage to, whatever they're chained to. What are some stories that you have uh, interacting with these people and seeing what the Lord has done in their lives? Alicia, see, I told you I work with the Konkani group. The Konkani group are people who don't speak English. And uh, even if they knew a little bit of English, they would be going to the English uh, section. It, uh, I wouldn't say uneducated, but very simple people. You know, very simple people who don't really know the local language, speak the local language. And, you know, um, not very well educated, like, you know, not very well educated at all. Very simple people. There might be a few educated, but, you know, they would be very simple if they would want to do their, you know, uh, basically what I want to put across is if they knew a little bit of English, it would be something like a status, you know, I know English and so I do a retreat in English. So the people I work with are very simple people. You know, recently I received a call from this woman, you know, and elderly people, elderly people, whenever I meet them, I call them mother. You know, yes, mama, what can I do for you? It's something like that. You know, and when uh, a lot of people get touched by that, just that little word that you give them, they feel so good. You know, there are times when people have told me, even my children don't call me that. They have forgotten me, but you say that and it touches my heart. If you can make someone happy, why not? You know, I I feel, I feel really good working with this old people, people who have no one to share their burdens with. I really like to hear their problems. And if I can, you know, give them one word of God that can wipe away their tears and take them back home happy, give them a new direction in life, my day is made, my life is made, you know? So recently she called me and she said, do you remember me? Now, there are a lot of people who call me and, you know, when just by the voice, I couldn't recognize her. And then she told me who she was and I could recognize her. I said, yes, yes, I know who you are. And, you know, there's this thing when it kind of, you know, her face flashed in front of me, even though I have not uh, met her in years. And she said, you know, I, you did something for me when I came there for the retreat. And I said, what was that? And she said, I wanted to go to the washroom and you held my hand and you took me there. And she said, even my children didn't do that for me. I don't remember that, Alicia. I just don't remember that. But she held on to it and she still holds on to it. St. Therese, she said, do little things with great love. Holding a mic, singing with 1000 people, looking at you, singing with you, clapping for you, cheering you, you know, urging you on, holding the mic and preaching. And, uh, you know, come, you are on YouTube proclaiming the word of God. It's wonderful. You won't be able to do it without the grace of God. You won't be able to do it without the Lord putting his word on your mouth. 
But I tell you, those little things that you can do, understand a person. Love that person. When nobody loves them. You know, tell that person, then that person feels down and says, I'm all alone. Tell that person that, you know, you're not alone. The Lord is with you. He said, I'll never leave you open. Did you forget that? When a person is completely broken, you give that one word that will cheer him up, cheer her up. And that speaks volumes. I think that's a great service, better than any other service. I love that. I love that that's the example you used. Not some radical transformation. I'm sure you've witnessed those, but the simple impact of service. I think that's absolutely true. Is And the humility that Christ talked about and the humility he demonstrated for us, I think that's exactly the kind of thing. I don't know if there's anybody who's come to you and you've really seen yourself in them, but I would love to hear any testimonies like that of someone whose story touched your heart and you were able to relate to them and kind of pour out the same wisdom that God had taught you through your own experiences? Alicia, let me start by telling you how I became a singer. When I was little, maybe I was in, say, five or six years old, there's this friend of mine who told me, come on, let's go and sing in the singing competition. I did not know what singing was all about. But she had promised to teach me a song. And we were kids. And uh, I said, okay, okay. I still told her, you go and sing and I'll show you all. But she said, no, no, teacher, that won't take my name. She wants someone to sing along with me. And so you who are my best friend, you got to sing with me. I said, okay. And she had tears in her eyes and I said, okay, I'll do it for you. And I said, what about the song she promised to teach me? But then, you know, we were children. And she forgot to teach me the song. I forgot to ask her to teach me. And it was the day of the competition. And they called out our names. And there we were on stage. Okay. And I was looking at her face. I did not know what to do. Thank God she knew a song. And she sang it. And I was looking at her and smiling at the audience. And then I saw a lot of people that I knew in the audience, you know. And I was there looking at them. and giving them a nice smile. You know, who I knew. I was. Now, I don't know how to stand on stage, you see. At the end of it, a lot of people clapped for us and I was so joyful and I was so sure I was going to win the first prize without opening my mouth for a song. You know, and I told my friend, I think we did excellent. Now, on the way back home, I met a senior and my senior seemed very irritated and angry with me. And the senior asked me, what do you think we were doing on stage? I said, of course, I was singing and the audience loved it. She told me one thing, you know, she said, they did not love it, they were laughing at you. You made a clown of yourself. And I think that was very bad. And henceforth, be careful because the whole school is going to be laughing at you. There was a lot of children. That word stayed in my heart for a long time. And after that, I could never stand on stage. I could never stand in front of many people. You know, I remember there was a time uh, my aunt and my mom tried to put me on stage for another competition and I tried backstage and I told them I can't do it. And they have, you know, after all the effort they had taken, they had to go home without me participating in that competition. You know, this was how timid I was. I remember uh, whenever the teacher would come and there's to be some kind of a show to be put on for the parents or something like that. Who can act? Who can sing? I would be under the desk so that the teacher would not call my name. This was how scared I was. And, you know, if the whole class would have to sing, then I would be the one who would be at the end, you know. Somewhere on the last row, being a shorty, I would still be at the end, you know, so that I wouldn't be seen. And 
when I came here and the director told me that you've got to be on stage, you should sing. I said, no, this is the time now for me to leave from this place. This is my cue. And then, I, you know, priests in India wear white, white cassocks. Uh, unlike uh, in America, they probably wear black cassocks there. Uh, I would see a flash of white and run in the opposite direction. I did that for six months. I did that for six months because I was scared he would put me on stage. You know, at that time, I was working with little children. I was teaching little children Bible, you know, and they were beautifully learned. I, it was a ministry of my life. I enjoyed that ministry. You know, when I told, told a little boy that he should, uh, you know, uh, read the Bible, he told me, no, no, Bible is not to be touched. You know, maybe the parents told him not to, you know, not to call, disrespect the Bible. He told me. Another little child came and told me, you speak so much about Jesus, you tell me what Jesus can do. Can he swing like Tarzan? You know, then he said, can he bash up people like Popeye? What can he do? You know, children. But I enjoyed that ministry. In their own cartoon characters, I could you know, describe and tell them what much more Jesus can do for them. That one week with them was beautiful. I was enjoying my ministry. I was a child like them. And then father comes and tells me, you go on stage and start singing. And I was thinking, what is this now? You know, six months later, one day, I had no place to run. Father was right in front of me and he told me, 20 minutes, you're on stage. And I was given a topic to preach on. That was praise. Praise God. How do you praise God? One hour I have to speak. I came on stage and I looked everywhere. Who do I? Has anyone come from my hometown? Does anybody know me? Will someone laugh at me? And I preached the whole hour. I heard my talk. I don't know if the people heard me. That was how soft I was, I know. And I came back after, after the session. But nobody complained, you know. And they said, nobody complained. Nobody said, who is this woman? How is she speaking? Why is she so bad? Nothing. Nobody said anything. In fact, people cheered for me. I was thinking, what is all this about? Right from that day, I had only one prayer. Whenever I climbed on stage, I would say, Lord, your dummy is going and standing in front of the mic. Please speak. I know nothing. I can't say anything. Even till today, I say the same thing. When I go to preach, Lord, I am going and standing in front of the mic. What you got to say to your people, you say when I go to sing, I say, please send your angels. I don't know to sing. You know, and uh, uh, it so happened that one day, the director himself was offering mass and I was sent to the English section to sing. And when I was singing, Alicia, I forgot the Our Father. I'm singing the Our Father and I forgot the Our Father. Father finished it for me. But in my nervousness, after that, every song, I sang false. I was not in rhythm. I, I could not catch the tune. People could not sing with me. It was a royal mess during holy mass. I couldn't forgive myself for that. And at the end of the service, I got off the stage. And I'm waiting now. I'm sure the father is going to yell at me. I got off stage and I'm waiting with tears in my eyes. And father saw me, and this priest was a real man of God, you know, he's a real man of God. And when he came down, he saw that I wanted to say something. So he just leaned forward and he said, yes. He said, father, I'm sorry, I messed it up. He said, did you? It was fine, actually. I think you're scared, aren't you? You sing beautifully. Don't look back.
Alessio. That was my beginning. I never looked back up. Today, when people tell me you sing well, you play the mu- you play music well, I know deep in my heart I know nothing, and I know that is a God's dream. And then Father told me to sing the first day, on the first day also. I asked him, Father, who would play the music? Because that was my excuse. You know, I have no one to play the music for me. So he'd say, okay, okay, relax. You don't sing. You don't need to go on stage. He said, tell your husband to play the organ. I said, he doesn't know anything, Father. I know that he's been going for a few classes. He knows. The one-month class. How can you expect a stage performance on that? But no, you can do it. Go. I told my husband, Father has told you this, this. My husband was quite upset. He said, if I make a mistake on a live performance, what do you expect me to do? Say, I'm sorry, folks, I start again. Do I say that? During the service, what do you expect me to do? I said, I'm sorry, but Father has said that. Now, what do we do? And then he started practicing with the organ. Nothing is working. Nothing is working. Believe me, Alicia, I don't know what a pitch is. I don't know what rhythm is. I don't know anything. Completely raw at this, new at this. And then my husband told me, this is the last song I'm going to practice. If it works, it works. Or else, it was night. It was late at night. And he told me, we pack our bags and quietly leave this place. Nobody's going to know. We go back home. I said, okay. Because I too was very happy to do that because I don't want to be on stage. And he put his fingers on the keyboard. And that day he played a beautiful melody. It was a hymn of Mother Mary. He played it beautifully as if he's been playing it for years. And I sang according to the pitch and according to the rhythm. And he said, here we are. This is what the Lord wants for us. And that's how he started. So like I tell you, when I say servant of God, I'd love to be that. Because I know that's the best place to be. That's the best position to be. Because he leads you so beautifully. Your life is surrendered in the hands of the Lord. You have nothing to worry. The world may not understand this, but if you experience this kind of love of God, this kind of mercy, this kind of support, this kind of friendship, I don't think you'll want anything else in the world. Yeah. Always safe in the hands of God. Yeah. Yes, yes. He puts people in your life when he wants you to walk on a particular path. Even if you don't know anything, they will teach you because he's teaching you through them. And that becomes beautiful. What an amazing testimony for for anybody who is um, just feeling like they're being asked to do something by God that they're not equipped for. I can't think of a better testimony than that to to encourage somebody like that. I know I've, I've experienced the same thing. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Thanks, God. Yeah, it's incredible what God is doing through you there and just how he's led you and I'm sure over 22 years you have so many stories you could share, but we have to we need to turn over to our last section now. Um, and I think this is something that'll be cool to talk about, especially for, for you being in India. Um, just a little discussion about your perspective of the church in your country, in your area. Um, you said something interesting in your questionnaire, which was that for you, there's a lot of freedom in your area, a lot of mature believers. Uh, the church is really thriving. Um, and I'm sure especially within the retreat center, it's just amazing. But there are other parts of India that are very heavily persecuted and there's some dangerous areas there. So could you share a little bit about that, about your perception of that and just what you've observed in the church in India? What I believe is, first of all, when persecutions 
uh, when you're persecuted, it's nothing to fear about. Prayer. Go down on your knees. He's waiting there to help you. Just a prayer away. Get down on your knees and pray for all those who trouble you. And then you see if they can do. Our Bible tells us there's no weapon that is passion that can stand against you. Whoever troubles you, if you can understand that person, whatever that person is, however bad that person may be, and it might have been proved to you that that person is bad, if you can take patience with that person and love that person and pray for that person, despite of the hurts that that person is giving you, I think you can lead them to heaven. I think you can lead them to God. I don't know if you heard about this. There was a sister, Rani Maria, who was uh, killed, who was uh, martyred in uh, a place called Madhya Pradesh. She was a nun. She was a religious nun. She was martyred. She was from Kerala. Her uh, family doesn't stay too far away from here. And uh, she was working in central India. And she was working for the ground trodden that certain people did not like. I don't think it was a religious thing. It was just that she was doing some good work that they did not like. And there was this guy who came and stabbed her multiple times when she was traveling in a city bus and murdered her. It was martyrdom. And he was arrested because he did it in public. He was arrested. And her mother went to the prison and met this man. And he held, and she held his hands. He said, can I just hold your hands? And when somebody wanted to know why she wanted to hold his hands, she just took his hands and kissed those hands. Those were the hands that murdered her daughter. And she said, these are the hands on which my daughter's blood fell. This were, these are the bloodstained hands. These, uh, it was my daughter's blood that, was, that stained his hands. And that is why I kissed those hands. And uh, her sister, you know, we have this tradition in India. They tie it, you know, that's generally the Hindus do it, but it's a thread that is tied on a particular day. On a, a lady ties, uh, ties it on a man's hand. That is, uh, she accepts him as a brother and he accepts her as a sister. Even those, though these people were Catholics and over here there's no such tradition of, you know, tying this thread and saying, you're my brother. Uh, they went all the way to this man and this sister of the uh, martyred sister Rani Maria uh, went and tied this thread on that murderous hand and said, you're my brother. And they told the court that they would not like to press charges. And the judge told him, told her, told the family, I think you only Catholics can do this. I think only you Christians can do this. You know, if we as Catholics cannot do this, if you're going to fight, if you're going to not going to be, uh, if you cannot show tolerance to people, our evangelization is a big zero. It's a big zero. This is how we should work. Christ love and let us love. A big name in India is the Christian missionary Saint Teresa of Calcutta. What did she do? She did not hold the back, you know, mic in her hand and go around preaching the word. She served. The poorest of the poor, she served. Such beautiful stories that are told about her. That's such an inspiration for us, the saints of God. What did they do? They did not do great things. They did little things with great love. 
let's do that. The persecution does not matter. That's the way, you know, wherever you look at the history of the world, wherever there was persecution, there has been mighty conversions also. That's, that's a calling for us to work a little harder, to love a little more, to pray a little more, to serve a little more, look inside ourselves and see where we are not doing enough and go on that path. I think that's a beautiful way to go. And that's, I think, the way of success to bring Christ into people's hearts. Wow. Humility, love, forgiveness. thats It's incredible to me, you know, living in a place where I don't necessarily get to witness that as much. Now, for you, you live in this more peaceful area. And so, um, do you come across um, unbelievers around you? Um, and do you come across people who still need Christ? And how do you approach those in your area where it's less of a risk? Oh, I have not been to places where uh, it's uh, more of a risk. I have been in the safe places. Uh, yes, I have met a lot of people among friends and family who don't know Christ, don't know Christ, don't believe in Christ, who are Sunday mask-going people, who don't believe in what I do, uh, or uh, who don't believe that I'm wasting my time. Uh, I don't say anything to them, Alicia, because... What I feel is, it's darkness. And the Bible is not something that we should argue about. It's the word, that unchangeable word. The unchangeable word that cannot be changed by someone's argument. Now, how do I face this darkness? How do I uh, help them to get out of this darkness? I can just do a few acts of penance and uh, I can just pray for them. Pray for God's mercy that their minds will open up to the truth and they will be set free. Because the Lord very clearly said, if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. He never said, if Manisha sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Right. So that's what, you know, there's a limit for us human beings. There's a limit what we can do. But with the Lord, there are no limits. We should only be open as servants of God to allow the Lord to minister to us. We are empty vessels. We are dust and ashes. We are nothing. And the more nothing we are, the more smaller we are, the more smaller we become, that much greater I believe Christ can become in us, through us. What a good word. What a strong testimony. Yeah, thank you for sharing about that. And that's that's a theme that keeps coming up is the power of prayer, power of, I mean, just like you said, power of service, power of prayer, such incredible things in the life of a Christian, the life of someone who is following Christ. It's exactly what he leads us into. Yeah. Thank you so much for your stories, for your testimony today and for sharing your time with us. Um, yeah, I just loved hearing about your experiences and this incredible journey God has you on. Um, yeah, and I'm so thankful for believers like you who are all in and seeking God's will and want to be right in the middle of what He has. Let's serve the Lord in whatever way we can, in whatever way He takes us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a joy. It's been a joy, really. Let's pray for each other. Lord Jesus, nothing happens without you wanting. Lord Jesus, it is you who does time this for us. Lord Jesus, every word that has come from our mouths, we believe that is what you wanted to say. Lord Jesus, touch every heart, every mind who listens to this podcast. Also, Lord Jesus, bless this entire team of Edom women as they work 
for your kingdom to reach out to souls to heal. So that they, those people who do not know you, they know you and their lives are transformed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Adorned Women podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here, then follow us on our Instagram for even more great content all week long. Our handle is at Adorned Women. You can also visit our website at www.adornedwomen.com. And of course, join us again next week as we connect with another sister in Christ and learn so much from her life of faith. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.